You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Anya, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, we're pumped for this conversation. I know that you have some unique takes on what's going on in the economy and the real estate sector and leasing uh, and all the good stuff. Um, but before we dive in, uh, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Where do you live? What's your uh, what's your job? What, what who is Anya? So I am a senior vice president at CBRE. I lead a multi-market tenant representation team that focuses mainly on global corporate occupiers. We are based both in Newport Beach, California, and in Atlanta, Georgia. We have about 40 people on our team, and we predominantly service clients with office and industrial portfolios. We do a little bit of retail. Uh, We do not do any multifamily, although I feel like I should have gotten into the multifamily sector because all of my friends (laughs) who are on the multifamily side are doing very well right now. So maybe that was a missed opportunity for us, but... uh, we're doing pretty well uh, based on the client base and, and the product type that we focus in. So it's been pretty good. Hey, there's always there's always time to pivot. I'm still young, 34. You, know? you can always take a z- zig. Oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> zig when everybody zags. Cool. So, so how long have you been doing this? So I've been in the business since 2007 when I was a sophomore in college. I started interning in, in industrial development. Whoa. Yes and then uh, graduated in 2009, which was the last great recession, the beginning of the last great recession. And so I have, what does that make me? Almost what, 15 years in the business now, half my life. Yeah, and now you're staring down another potential oh, wow. recession, hopefully not, but we can, we can get into that topic a little bit more. So you've seen a lot, which is awesome. So if you started right in the downturn or like on the tail end of it, you were probably, I was in the business at that time too, and it was it was slim pickings for deals. Like it was, you really learn how to be creative for your clients uh, in those times. Uh, and of course, everything bounced back pretty hard after a couple of years later. But what, uh, like, mm-hmm. what did you learn during that experience that you might be able to kind of use to predict what's going to go on over the next couple of years as the result of the pandemic winding down, hopefully people return in the office, and then of course like inflation, recession, all this good stuff. So that's a big loaded question. Um, and maybe that's just a jumping off point for you to kind of share your view on the commercial real estate world right now. Yeah, I feel like, I wish there was something I could point to that says that could tell you this is exactly what I learned from the last downturn, but I feel like this is completely different. And one of the big things that sticks out to me is the fact that in the last recession, people were still going to the office. There was no pandemic. I guess there was, yep. was there like swine flu back then? Or it was something a little more mild than, yeah. than COVID. Yes, H1N1, H1N1. yes, yeah. yes. But back then, you know, technology was not half as good as it is today. And so I think while office 
leasing activity was down, it wasn't down like it is right now based on people working remotely. And so that's one of the things that I feel like Mm -hmm. is a big change in what we're about to enter into or even what we've been living in for the last couple of years. Um, I do feel like really one of the things that allowed me to get ahead in the last recession was keeping in contact and keeping my network growing, like making that extra effort to continue cultivating relationships, meeting people, and just honestly growing my brand and my network during that time because there are people that I worked with way yep. back in 2009, 10, 11, who I'm still working with today. And so I think that was definitely a big driver yep. in, in you know, keeping me in the business because I know there's a big, there was a big drop off of people that had been in the, especially the brokerage world for 10, 12 years at that point, you know, they hadn't quite hit their big, big stride where they, they had a lot of money saved up and they could weather the storm. So a lot of people dropped out, got into technology. And, uh, and so we don't see a lot of people in the business that are like 45 to 50. We see those that are in their thirties, like my age, and then, and then up into their late fifties, early sixties. So I'm, I'm wondering if that will happen this time as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I think there is kind of a generational shift happening in the brokerage industry. You, you touched on technology and we see that because we're a technology company and anybody that's like in their 20s and 30s, like they just take it for granted, right? They think like, oh, I'm going to come into this job and have all these tools. I'm going to be able to work wherever I can work from. I'm going to be able to communicate with my clients online. It's all very much digital. And that, But then you still have the, you know, the old guard who's like, I'm on, you know, I'm on the last... 10 years of my career here or so like you know we're just going to keep doing things the way we do it it'll be interesting to see if there's like a massive influx of new talent into the industry or if there's a drop off in people who are like this is just too hard i'm getting out of here like what where's the next uh well, frontier? Here's, the thing. here's a good question for you if yeah. you had a kid graduating college in 2022 2023 and they said to you dad i want to i want to lease office space for a living i think that's the career path i want to go into (laughs) what would you say to them it's a really good question (laughs) um i would never want to steer my children away from something that like they're really passionate about and that they want to like do for their career so if it's like you really want to do that you got to do it like knowing all of the um potential downsides to it i do think that being in your early 20s and just diving into commercial real estate is it's just a really good industry to just generally learn about business because you're a you're a salesperson you're a client solution consultant you're a negotiator uh you eat what you kill so you really kind of have appreciation for how hard it is to like make a dollar right and then the clock resets every year so you got to do it again so you start from zero every year so it's like this kind of like oh i see how the world works like you actually have to go out there and make money i can't just graduate get a four hundred thousand dollar job from facebook and be like oh this is normal so i think that's a long way of saying is like i wouldn't necessarily like push them into the industry but i would i would say you know learn what you can there and you know if you end up being successful great if not you know you've gained a really good tool set of like how to navigate just general like business world absolutely that's that is absolutely the truth and i've actually had a number of friends who have gotten out of the business but the skill set that they were able to acquire while being in the business has been just it's been able to catapult them into success in either other aspects of commercial real estate or even you know a completely different industry so it was it was a good foundation for sure yeah 
yeah, the the end result of like what you're doing as a broker is you know signing a lease, but you're dealing with people that have a really wide range of expertise and connections in different industries. So if you you know look back over your last 15 years and kind of pile up all those contacts that you have in LinkedIn, they're all across other industries, you know, different verticals. So you actually build a more kind of robust network than you than people think. They think like, oh, real estate's really insular. You just like, all your brokers are the same. You just talk to each other all the time. But on the personal level, you're, you're building an amazing network. And I, I, when I jumped out of commercial real estate and got into tech, my network just exploded because now I'm like, I have all these other connections in these other industries and and I think it's just a pretty really unique way to build a network. I agree. And I imagine some of your broker contacts sort of had blinders on so they you know they're dealing with maybe their peers, their team and then their clients, but then if you jump over to the technology side it's like, "Oh wow, I wasn't even thinking about this." And so you're able to open a whole new world for them and it's a source of business for you. So it's it's a nice ecosystem for sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your your business and like what you do. So you're, you know, multi location, corporate clients, industrial office, these companies are probably going through a lot of like mm-hmm. key decisions right now, right? Let's just talk about like reoccupancy of office buildings. So um, I imagine what's happening in the boardrooms of all these companies is like, okay, real estate's our second largest expense. We're less than 10% occupied across our portfolio. Yep. What do we keep? What do we get rid of? We have deals that are rolling. Do we renew them? Do we pull back on requirements so like what's happening out there yeah so there's there's a couple different buckets that i would put clients into there are clients who have taken a hard position on return to office and i feel like those clients are able to make decisions pretty quickly now that there's a real uh, position that they've taken uh, there's other clients who have not taken mm-hmm. much of a position, and I understand that there's some liability around taking a position, um, especially over you know the last six to eight months because remote work became so popular, and obviously you know employee retention and recruitment has been top of mind. Uh, so what I'm finding is that a lot of com- the companies that are not making the decisions necessarily taking the taking the position on return to office are shedding a lot of space because they're seeing a return to office rate of below 10%. And so they're seeing it as, hey, we're only getting, and this is, I do a lot of work in the financial services sector, and I think that is one one sector that has been able to experience the most productive work from home, remote, uh, what's the word for it? They've experienced the the best, um, the most productivity in, in remote work. There's other, you know, a lot of the work is done mm-hmm. kind of siloed and they've been able to leverage technology in a way that's worked for them. So I'm finding a lot of my financial services clients are saying, you know what, we really believe that there's going to be space available should we shed space now. A lot of them, you know, throughout the pandemic were really kicking the can doing six month renewals, 12 month renewals. And now they're finally saying, you know what, I don't think we can make a decision right now. So we're going to go into more of a flexible office environment like a WeWork or some sort of on-demand co-working environment until we can really understand what we want to do long term. They're sick of honestly paying for space that, they, yeah. that they're not utilizing. And, and I greatly don't blame them. Yeah, that's like a very basic, yeah, that's like a, like forget about the looming recession and what that might do to their businesses and headcount and all that stuff. But that's a pretty basic decision to make, which is... Yeah. We have the space, we're not using it. Like 
we keep kicking the can down the road here. Nothing's changing in the six to 12 month period that we renewed. Why are we going to do this again? Especially if they've already uh, enhanced productivity yeah. by going remote. Like it's a pretty, like everyone's already remote anyway. It's not like they need to go through some big transition to like get everybody working from home already. No, there was just this shift that happened overnight. And I think, you know, when people talk now about recruitment and retention and, and productivity even, I, I do feel like we have sort of a glass half full mentality on it with like everyone's, everyone's doing their job, everything's fine. But what I think we really need is five years of data to understand how we are affected by this remote work environment. Like we need five years of data on recruitment, five years of data on retention, you have five years of data on, on you know certain KPIs around each business. And I think that's, we're not there yet. So nobody can can really sit there and say, yeah, we, you know what, we're not productive, you're not productive, you need to come to the office because I don't think the data is there to support that position. Yeah, one, one um, take I heard recently is that I mean, we're seeing all these massive headcount yes. cuts at big tech companies that are their valuations are just getting crushed, so they're just responding yep. by cutting burn, right? And unfortunately, yep. that results in layoffs. You know, is there this dynamic that could emerge where, okay, I see all my colleagues getting laid off, uh, that's going to scare me back into the office? Like, I need to now, you know, put my best foot forward and be present. And I, I don't know if that holds any water, um, because... You know, companies have successfully overnight shifted to this yeah. hybrid remote work uh, dynamic, but I don't know. I I don't know if people getting laid off and other people getting scared back in the office is a very positive way to look at how the office market is going to rebound. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think we have, there's other factors that, that we're not really considering when we talk about people being scared or, or concerned and getting back to the office in that way. Because... I was just reading an article earlier called Lunchflation. There are a lot of barriers to entry to the office now, right? It's it's commuting. Gas prices are you know 50% higher than they were two years ago. So uh, you go out to lunch, and I was just reading that Sweetgreen, I, I love Sweetgreen, they just raised their menu prices 10%. A lot of other food food options, oh, yeah. food re- restaurants are raising their raising their prices up by 30, 40%. So the lunch used to cost $7 and now lunch is $15 when I go to the <laughs> office. On top of my commute, on top of the fact right. that I don't have kids, but I, I'm hearing of a lot of people telling me, I took my kids out of daycare because I was paying $2,200 a month for one kid to go to daycare. And I think when we look at that yeah. average employee who's making 50, 60, $70,000 a year, and they're, they're spending this just insane amount to not only commute but child for childcare and all of this. I think they've got bigger issues on getting into the office now that they've sort of adapted over the last few years than than companies are even realizing. Yeah, I think a lot of people were forced into these uh, life and financial decisions where they start questioning what was I even doing in the first place? Why was I operating my life like this before? Yes. I was driving to the office one an hour every every way, which forced me to have to drop my kid off at daycare earlier than I wanted to, which made me pay for more money for childcare. I was spending all this money on lunch and drinks after work, and like it was all great and everything, but it wasn't until you were forced to kind of like figure out your new life that you realize like, oh, I could actually make do by doing this, and I could pick my kid up early from school now and come home and get a couple hours of work done afterwards, and like life just kind of shifted for everybody, which then made everything yes. like easier to manage financially, yes. I think, for a lot of people. Um, 
and then now you're right with you know the war in Ukraine and a recession happening everything's gotten out of whack and everything's more expensive and it's like well why would I ever go back to the old way of doing it like it's getting worse <laughs> right right I know I, I heard of a company in New York offering employees a hundred dollars a day to come to the office like trying to entice them with a hundred dollars a day <laughs> that's ridiculous and employees still yeah. saying no because it's, it's actually costing me more than that when I factor in what it takes for me to come to the office. And that's where my concern on the in the office sector lies is like, I don't know that inflation is gonna, I, I actually think that real estate has been, has performed generally well even in the last recession. And I think it's been a fairly safe place to put your money uh, as opposed to a very volatile stock market like we're experiencing right now. But I, I just think there's these other factors and it's really about employers understanding what the barrier to entry is for their employees and then figuring out whether they can work mm -hmm. around that or not. I mean, they're going to have to at some point, right? Like they're either going to have to say, fine, you can be remote. And there are people yeah. who will never come back to the office. But I think there, there could be some sort of happy medium where you can still cultivate experiences and togetherness in person, but it just wouldn't be on like an everyday or maybe even every week basis. Yeah, 100%. And I think like, I don't know, it's almost kind of poking holes in the idea of the office as like that kind of mm -hmm. connective tissue of the company. Because really, when you strip everything away, what you want to do is give somebody a yeah. job that they feel fulfilled yes. working at, and they're growing, and they're learning, and they're getting to know their colleagues. And that can happen asynchronously. It doesn't mean you have to be in the office every day, working side by side with people to be fulfilled in your career. Um, like we, as an example, are doing an all-company offsite in Austin in September, and it's like people are so excited about it. We're going to have some awesome activities. We're not going to focus too much on work, and it's just a way to get everybody together, especially people that have only met digitally. So, yeah, I, it's it's interesting to see. Now we're a small company; we're less than fifty people, so yeah. we can we can do that. But I couldn't see like Goldman Sachs getting all their people no. globally together once. A quarter like there's a different dynamic there at the higher end of the market yeah and I, and I do feel like back you know I, I was talking to some friends and, and even just reflecting on when I first got out of college and entered the workforce I met a lot of my friends at the office like a lot of my social circle I curated mm -hmm. but people my age my peer group in the office and we sort of grew up in the business together I do feel like people in their early 20s just out of school are really going to miss out on that going forward uh, but I think there's just going to be other ways yep. for them to connect and it's going to involve technology and I'm still figuring out my position on the metaverse. I've been <laughs> very, I have been <laughs> very uh, against it, thinking it was a little wonky, but uh, I'm being told that I really need to, to maybe dive in and see, and see what it's all about. I just, I guess coming from working with a lot of companies in the financial services sector and, and, and in the manufacturing sector, I just don't see my immediate clients super interested in it, but I see why tech companies and maybe even Occupier being one of them might want to take space in the metaverse. Yeah, I gotta like, come up with my avatar. Um, <laughs> so, shifting gears on the industrial front, is it a different dynamic than the office world? Yes. So the the industrial world. I mean, it's been you know. How did you get all of your groceries and any sort of goods that you would order online throughout the pandemic? Your dog yeah, food. Amazon, your, yeah. Amazon, UPS. Uh, you know, I'm seeing. I'm still seeing. It, 
demand just out of control on the industrial side, especially the major industrial markets like the Inland Empire, um, Central New Jersey. You know, the, the those port port areas are definitely still booming, but we're seeing a lot of construction out in Phoenix market. So there is a lot coming out of the ground in mm-hmm. Phoenix. I'm a little concerned with Dallas, Dallas Fort Worth, because I think there's a lot of construction going on out there, and I wonder if the demand is gonna is gonna start to sort of balance out with the supply, which then obviously would would help for rents to stabilize. As a tenant rep, I hope that happens because I'm sick of delivering bad news to my clients. <laughs> James Breeze is our head of industrial research at uh, CBRE, and he just put something out today that. Basically, if you're if you're an industrial occupier in one of the major markets, you're you should expect at the end of a five-year lease term. So, if your lease comes up in July of 2030, you should expect that your rent is going to double at that point, given given just the way rents are trending and Whoa. demand is trending and supply. I mean, we still have a supply chain issue. Buildings can't come out of the ground fast enough. So, when when demand is up and supply is down, rents are going to keep growing. Yeah. Um, is it just the big guys that are driving this or is there like a, an onshoring of, uh, manufacturing and industrial uses that is going to continue the strong growth? Is it just like Amazon and FedEx and UPS that are driving the market or are you seeing this like all, all across the board? No, I'm seeing it all across the board. A lot of mid cap companies, I mean, they, they need more space and you know, what they made work pre-pandemic, depending on, you know, I I represent a Fortune 500 company as a label manufacturer. And I've seen just their business, they do a lot in the pharmaceutical world, they do a lot in the apparel world, Um, especially now the apparel business is is obviously picking up with people going back to the office and purchasing clothing again. Uh, But I'm I'm finding that all across the board, everybody's feeling this. And it's, and really, you know, landlords, I guess, the, the big players, you know, the prologuses of the world, I don't blame them for taking the position that they're taking because if I was in that position, it's like, hey, I've got, you know, I'm the hottest chick at prom. That's, that's the, the analogy that I use. But um, I'm, I am finding that a lot of these landlords that we partner with for, for our tenants are trying to make it work, but, they, but also, you know, they're, the market's the market. So they are trying to offer a solution yeah. that that can work for our clients, you know, accommodate their needs. But our clients are having to absorb these these big rent adjustments, and it's tough, especially for a smaller business. Yeah. So what does that look like? Or does that mean they're doing shorter term deals because they don't know if this market is going to continue to grow? Or, I mean, I would imagine if you're building a new building, it's hard to do a short term deal, right? Like you're just going to get locked in for yeah. True. If you're doing a build to suit, you you really can't. But I think you know the landlords are, are preferring shorter terms because they see rents growing thirty percent a year. So you know if a normal CPI is anywhere between three and five percent in an, in a five year lease, they're like, uh, I'll do a two year deal with you because guess what? In two years, I'm going to be coming to you and your rent's going to be sixty percent higher than what you're paying today. Um, tenants are, and I'm actually finding yeah. that it's considered a concession. For a landlord to do, for an industrial landlord to do a deal that's five to seven years in in term right now. Now, if you've got a, a Fortune 500 credit and all that, that's a little bit different. But for the mom and pops, I'm really finding landlords not wanting to do more than three years, and and we're having to push back on that. Yeah, that's kind of a back, totally backwards way of doing yeah. it, right? You usually yeah. 
usually get the concession for the longer term deal, not the shorter term deal. Which exactly. Is, and then which like, yeah. just, just to draw a contrast on the office side, I'm doing a transaction, a larger transaction in the suburbs of Chicago right now. And it's a 12 year deal for roughly 70,000 feet. And the landlord, we did the math and we've got, you know, two years of free rent and, and this is a true office. And the landlord isn't making money on our tenancy until year 10 of the lease term given the tenant improvement packages that they've offered us, just the whole concession package, really. They're not turning a profit yep. on our tenancy until year 10, which is scary. Yeah, and I don't know the profile of that landlord, but it's probably easier for them to talk to their LP base or their investors to say, look, right. at least we have a tenant in there. And yeah, we're not making money until you know 10 years from now, but we don't know where the market's gonna be then. And at that point, hopefully we can, you know, recap the building or there will be some event in the future where we'll be able to extract Absolutely. value out of this investment. Um, but it's certainly better than them having a, an empty building and having to explain to their investors why it's not leasing, you know? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, so another topic, let's talk about like the, um, the future of like commercial mm -hmm. brokerage. Do you like, how is all this going? We talked, touched on it a little bit in terms of like the demographics of it, but What's happening in like your day-to-day -day job that is either making your life uh, easier or more difficult? And is, it, is technology playing a huge factor into it? Um, you know, is it is it like is the job changing? The uh, job is that what you're doing for sure. Yeah. You know, I I wish I would have gotten a degree in psychology. <laughs> That's what I say. Um, you're I a therapist a to most yes, of your clients. Yeah. I'm a part-time therapist. And I don't mind it at all. Um, you know, one thing I'm finding, and I think it's important for the C-suite to understand this at a lot of companies, my clients are burned out. Similar to a lot of my colleagues. I mean, we're, I, I am just seeing a burnout for sure. And I think a lot of this is because corporate real estate used to be so transactional and it's turning into mm -hmm. a really touchy-feely, almost HR function at this point. And so not only are transactions mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. to get done, whether you're whether you're relinquishing space or you're acquiring new space or renewing, but then you've also got this factor of the human aspect and what it looks like bringing people back. You know, ergonomically, what are we doing? What are we doing with with desk sharing? And from the technology perspective, I think that what we're going to continue to see is a little bit of a big brother aspect in the workplace where if I'm going to come in the office. I want to know who's going to be there and where they're going to be sitting so that I can make sure that I can interact with those folks. Uh, so that's that's one piece. And then on the on the on the brokerage side, from a technology perspective, our clients want information and they want it now because their superiors need it now. And so I'm seeing a big push and, you know, with just even with lease admin, I mean, you know, what type of reports can can a lease admin software run? I mean, we're seeing you know a lot of occupancy data pulling into the lease admin side of things, so that decisions can be made based on real time data. So that's been extremely important. Mm -hmm. But I think for brokers to be able to leverage technology and also like just the life cycle of a deal is a lot longer. I always say now a deal takes anywhere between eighteen to twenty four months to get done. And, and that's almost regardless of size. It just depends on, you know, what product type. But I think what's been helpful yeah. for me is some of the technology that we've used in order to keep our clients 
in front of what's happening and also like as simple as following up when there's a task assigned to the client because you know everybody's running in 50 million directions so i think being able to leverage technology and in, in order to to keep the deal process going has been super valuable yeah i think one thing that you said struck me yes. which is the burnout piece yeah. um on the corporate transaction manager side and i totally um, identify with that because yeah. I did that for a long time but what it sounds like the dynamic is that the real estate decision is getting closer yes. and closer to the C-suite and it's really being centered yes. around the people rather than yes. the financials of a lease and I think the previous kind of transactional nature of it is just like oh you give me my critical date report anything within 18 months of expiration we're just gonna go go to market and try to renew and yeah or move and it was just very much like you know yes you know blocking and tackling and puzzle pieces on the office portfolio whereas now it's just like zoom out 30,000 feet and say what do we want our company to be how do we want our employees to interact what are they looking for from us as their employer and then let's layer some sort of real estate strategy on top of that and it's becoming more and more about like the employee centric decision than like the balance sheet centric decision Yes, I, and, and your point's well taken that it's getting closer to the C-suite. There are more decision makers in the process than ever before, and I think that's slowing things down, but it's also creating an opportunity for some thoughtfulness around these decisions that are being made. So 100% agree with you. Yeah, and I think um, that is another reason why technology needs to get better, and that's what we're focusing on here at Occupier, and I'm not trying to be a salesman on this, but like our our view on it as well is that everybody in the organization now needs access to the data with respect to real estate. And that's not necessarily like rent schedules and expiration dates. It's like, who's in the space? Mm -hmm. Where is it? Like, how does it accommodate people? Um, how much are we paying at the moment? How is that allocated across the business? So you have legal, HR, people, workplace, you know, C-suite and the finance team all kind of weighing in, even like IT and, and other areas of the business, and they, they're they asking the real estate team, like, I need this information, or they're asking you, I need this information, like, what's going on? Um, and facilitating open access to that data is is gonna hopefully, like, unblock some of that, like, you know, slowdown in how long it takes a transaction to get done. Yeah, and then just, just bringing it back to Occupier a little bit, uh, talking about maintaining these relationships that we have as brokers. I'm actually gonna be sitting down with your colleague and partner, Andrew, uh, later this week to talk about how we can leverage Occupier uh, for a CRM for our team, because that's another thing that I feel like brokers can really use right now. Um, there's not a lot of great CRM out there, and given just what we're going through, and and how we're continuing to connect with our clients, I think a CRM is more important than ever before because it's a, it's a lot harder to connect. So um, I think that's another, that's another opportunity definitely for occupier on the broker side to, to be able to, to leverage the platform. Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole other episode on how clunky like ten of rep teams workflows are internally. Oh, no. <laughs> Forget about the clients, like no. it's, a, yeah, um, hence, the proliferation of like prop tech tools like us yeah. uh, coming into the market. Um, all right, cool. This has been awesome, but let's uh, let's let's move towards the final section of the show, which okay. is our rapid fire questions. So okay. I'm going to give you five questions, uh, and uh, I want you to spend a minute or okay. less answering each one of them. 
um, and they're non-work related, so it'll be fun. Um, yeah. Get to know you a little bit better. Uh, question number one, uh, since we're in the middle of July, at the end of July, uh, what's your what's your go-to summer activity? Wine tasting in Napa every year. Nice. I grew up in Sacramento, so I grew up about an hour from, from Napa. Very easy access from my parents' house, and we go up there at least once a year to wine taste. There's nowhere more beautiful, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, what are your go-to uh, wineries? Paradox. I was actually engaged at Paradox Winery. It's in the Duckhorn family. Nice. And they just opened the new migration room in, I think it's in Yountville. Uh, we went there last last year. So that's hot spot. Definitely check that out if you're in Napa. Love it there. Yeah. I've been a few times and I love it myself. Um, yeah. uh, if you could like build a house anywhere on earth, where would you build it? This might be a stupid answer, but the Maldives, because I know the Maldives are going away in the next, I don't what do they say, 9, 12, 18 years? And I would love the opportunity to live there for a period of time if, if I could continue to work remote and didn't really have to see too many people. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and it didn't take so long to get there, but... Yes, um, yes. Yeah. It wasn't so inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. That's, good. That's, a good, that's a good point. Um, yeah, climate change is definitely changing the equation on where people are going to be able to live long term. Um, who's your role model? Question number three. This is kind of sappy. My role model is my husband. He is in a totally different sector. He's in the fitness world, uh, but he has dealt with a lot of adversity and there's a, just always something going on in his realm with, with his clients or even, you know, just just at he's he's always there's always a new challenge every day and i feel like he is one person that i can look to that always walks his talk so if he's going through a stressful situation he's really big on mindset really big on journaling he reads stoic philosophy all of the things he tells his clients to do he does himself and i know i'm not always perfect in that regard when i'm giving my clients advice so i i always appreciate that about him he's definitely a role model yeah, and in the fitness world, there's probably a lot of people that don't like actually walk the walk. It's a lot of marketing and like jargon and BS. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's one thing I, I pay a lot of attention. I don't even know if he knows, but I pay a lot of attention to when he's coaching a, a particular client, and then seeing okay when he deals with that same issue himself, what does he do? How does he how does he handle it? And it, it's all it's all the same. So I know he walks his talk for sure. Awesome. Well, it's always good to have your role model living under the same roof, right? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, question four, what's your favorite dessert? And if you're allowed to eat dessert because your husband's in fitness. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely allowed to eat dessert, anything chocolate cake. I'm a huge fan of chocolate cake. Yeah, I like the flourless chocolate cakes. They're yeah, those are good, and they're gluten-free, right? Yeah, best of both worlds. Yes. Uh, final question, we ask this of everybody. Who are two people we should have on the show? Okay, so if you want someone in... The the corporate real estate realm. I think you should bring on my business partner, Dave Remington. He is a data junkie. So he will be able to give you hard stats on anything you could possibly want to know. Um, super impressive guy. You should definitely bring him on. And then outside of the outside of the corporate real estate world, you should bring my husband on. He's He could talk about mindset, about dealing with stress, something just outside of, uh, of necessarily the day-to-day -day, you know prop tech what's going on in the office world but yeah. almost like dealing with all of this change and 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 just mindset coaching 
Um, he's a coach on this fitness platform called Tonal, which is like a Peloton oh, competitor. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then he's got his own business. But he, he, he does quite a few podcasts, and people generally seem to like the content he puts out. Uh, I think we should definitely do that. I'll get your email. Uh, I'll get yeah. his email address for me after the show. Yeah. Um, Anya, this has been great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll have to yeah. kind of re- return to some of your predictions and thoughts uh, over yes. the next five years as we collect that data. Um, yes. But uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, if, if our listeners wanted to find you, how would they do that? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Anya, A-N-Y-A. My last name is Ostry, O-S-T-R-Y. I am on Instagram at Anya Ostry, but uh, a lot of my Instagram is just kind of making fun of myself and life. It's <laughs> it's uh, a little less on the professional side. And then my email is Anya.Ostry, O-S-T-R-Y, at C-B-R-E.com. Great. Anya, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, take care.